0: Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Severn Films. They were the two most exploited talents in Euro cult cinema, and when they collided, the Italian crime genre would never be the same. Severn Films presents Violent Streets, the Umberto, Lindsay, and Thomas Million collection, featuring their five greatest collaborations, Almost Human, Syndicate Sadist, Free Hand for a Tough Cop, The Cynic, The Rat, and The Fist and Brothers Till We Die, all restored, uncut from their original negatives for the first time. Five classics, four remastered soundtracks, over 10 hours of special features, one unprecedented collection. Violent Streets, the Umberto Lenzi and Thomas Millian collection. Visit SeverinFilms.com for details. (laughs) welcome to colors of the dark. I am your co-host Rebecca McHendry and with me is a covid laden Elric Kane. How you feeling, buddy? I'm less
1: laden, but I'm covid Uh yeah, I mean I, they wait look, covid has been very polite to me. I do want cuz I think a lot of people are throwing covid under the bus. I want to defend one thing in my case at least. <laughs> uh it allowed me to shoot my feature film in summer without once intruding on my person when I was terrified of it and then it let me go my entire trip and it waited till the plane ride home from my home uh, see, visiting my mom in New Zealand it waited till I came home and that that is at least something you know
0: it's it's a real stand up move on covid i mean part. covid um, has been
1: such a bitch to so many people but to me covid you, you did okay um,
0: somehow i have not i have escaped the covid thus far i've seen both my kids through it and um that wasn't fun because yeah be glad that you don't have five-year-old covid because five-year-old covid you just puke the whole time that's all strummer did that was awful it was awful for like four days but um i'm sorry you got it man well, i will you say look, and i'm not gonna you look run down you don't look bad you just look tired uh, yeah
1: and i was i was feeling great after actually after uh visiting home because i think i felt very like i know swimming in the ocean down there really enlivens. Mm-hmm. me i always feel most alive there and then getting on a plane but i will say i don't care if you're at the point where you're not wearing a mask. you are wearing a mask. all of that that's up to the individual i have no problem with that what i have a problem with is if your ass is sick and you're coughing and you're gonna sit next to someone for 16 hours then you should wear a damn mask i wore a mask for 13 hours a guy next to me just who was clearly sick and coughed the entire i, I literally sat down and i th- first thought was i'm definitely gonna get covered from this trip and guess what yeah. happened so you know it's common courtesies, not political agendas, common courtesies.
0: No, and I've definitely reached that point now where even, I mean, I have not had COVID yet, but I have had every other RSV and weird cold things that my kids have brought home this year and it's now one of those things where like I put the mask on because I'm sick and you know that person behind me in the grocery store does not need whatever like toddler plague my kids brought home from kindergarten. It's It's the
1: one thing I wish people had taken from this which a lot of Asian countries have been practicing forever which is like it's a good way not to get the flu and the cold and all the other crap that I don't want and this was the first time I've really been sick in a year or two maybe a long time anyway so Anyway,
0: I had that moment last it was last spring, I remember where I had literally not had a cold, a flu, anything for like a full two years because we were masking so heavily, even on film sets where you always pass around the set flu. I didn't have it. I'm like glorious. And then suddenly last summer we start taking masks off in the classroom. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm sick. What the fuck? I haven't had this in forever. So but I'm glad you're here. Um sadly you had we were supposed to we we had uh, podcasting date to go see um Megan over the weekend and I got this sad I'm... phone call from Elric that he couldn't join. Cause I, I had saw saw Because you had COVID. Ugh, Wait, but before you get
1: a... to it though, we have to announce because I this is I was planning on we we're gonna do something exciting and then we forgot all about it. This is episode fifty. Of episode 50. Of Dark. A couple episodes I didn't count because they were ones where we weren't both there or whatever. But this is episode 50 of Colors of the Dark. And the crazy thing about it, this is episode 50, but it's year 10 that we've been doing podcasts together. Right. How we only have done 50 episodes in 10 years is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> this is we are the worst podcasters to ever. ever we only
0: do five a year. That's, that is so episode
1: past. 50, but our 10th year doing it. We have had uh let's count it down, inside horror. Killer POV. POV. Uh, Shockwaves. I almost forgot the name. I was about to say Scream Box (laughs) Wave.
0: Shockwaves and then this this together. uh, So Not bad. Uh, And a couple episodes of Nightmare University together. We've done ample Scream drafts together. Uh, They're already booking us for more screen drafts together. So we've been doing some stuff. Anyway,
1: so episode 50, 10 years in, slow rate.
0: I don't think most people realize that our history started over ten years ago. It was actually before, like we started podcasting together um, on a web show called Inside Horror, right. where yeah. I was male girl. Like well, um, I cast
1: you technically? Why well, didn't cast, I know you from did? Other- applicants i just asked you would you come and become the chat part of that so you're like the third co-host because we had already been going for a while me and Stacey lane Mm -hmm. and then that uh and then that led to i well i didn't really pick killer pov we were all selected we were cast i guess that's kind of random how that all worked yeah um but andrew cash is the one who kind of suggested everyone so anyway interesting history but 10 years goes crazy fast
0: we also had another anniversary today that popped up, and then suddenly Jared and I were like, holy shit. Oh, that's you. Um, it is the 10-year anniversary of the first time we ever did Dead Right Horror Trivia at Jump Cut. Actually, that's what um, triggered
1: it, because I realized, oh, well, we, we did that around the same time. It all started, mm-hmm. you know, we did Inside Horror a little, so it might have even been 11 years that we've been podcasting, but that's actually, when I saw that post, it's what triggered my mind, like, oh, that means yeah. we've been doing this for a while. Anyway, that means we've run out of episodes. stuff to say. There's nothing more to say about horror. That's it. We've done it. <laughs>
0: But 50 episodes of Colors of the Dark, thank you guys for staying with us for so long. Elric and I have at least another hundred in us. I'm just saying this for him. He looks exhausted right now. He's literally like, uh, his eyes are shifting back and forth. I will forth. say
1: this. I will say, because I, <laughs> I, I I used to say, I could probably do this for like 10 years or something. And now that we're here, I think, I don't know wh- how long I could do the main show, but I could do the deep cut version, which is just like deep cut pics we see. I. I could do that for the rest of my life because so could i'm always going to want to see random shit i'm always going to want to see random films
0: even this week this is my teaser for our deep cuts even this week i watched some absolutely like bonkers stuff that i couldn't find anywhere else that like i found on youtube and just like crazy stuff that i was so excited about made for tv movies um but yeah I included one kind of bonkers one in my list for this week just cuz I really enjoyed it. Well it's um, funny cuz I yeah. when
1: I got back I told you so one of the nice things about taking a break which I just needed I was really burnt out on everything movie you were. related cuz you know, I think if you make a movie or something in the middle of your normal year and try to do everything that you also did on top of that it's just re- insane and uh I didn't watch any movies on my trip. Uh I watched movies on the plane rides and not once did I watch. Oh, I actually watched oh. Becky. No, I watched Becky right in the middle, just randomly. That's cool. I yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I, I didn't love it.
0: I like Joe McHale in that. Yeah,
1: I was interested. I, I'm more excited. I know there's a Becky too, and I'm kind of more curious where they'll take it now. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, but anyway, so that was the other thing, and that was nice to have a break. But what's funny is, so I was coming back, going, "Oh man, I'm not going to even have any movies to talk about uh, at the top of the show because I've been. I just got back. Then I got COVID, and I've watched 18 films in the last. Five days, and I've watched all new horror movies. So I'm telling you, I it's kind of it all worked out for the betterment of you, the listener.
0: Excellent. Well, I did during break because during break, I decided, um, and part of it was like, I stress clean. I'm a really big, Elric knows this, like I'm a huge, he's seen it in action where I'm a big stress cleaner. Um, And I will gut entire rooms and paint and rearrange furniture and then put everything back and go through it and take boxes to Goodwill and redo drapes. Like I'm nuts about it when I get really stressed out. Um, I'm pretty sure it's like a control freak issue, but fine. Uh, Um, But I- <laughs> you don't even need
1: to pay for a shrink. Being I'm gonna just weigh in here will be like, yeah, it is accurate.
0: <laughs> what? Um, but that was how I spent much of my break. Was like, this is how I'm going to de-stress was by doing this. So I cleaned a lot and I watched movies the whole time while doing it. So I would just pop things on my laptop and be like, I'm gonna paint the bathroom while I watch this. So we'll,
1: we'll hear some yeah. of those when we do our deep cuts next week. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, so I. Decided to go by myself to see Megan yesterday morning. Um, I went to the early morning cheap show, which was still absolutely fun. Um, and even for that, I was like, no one's going to see this at like ten a.m. on a Sunday at the AMC in Burbank, and it was still a packed house. I still had to sit in like the second row, and I'm farsighted as fuck, Um, which Elric also knows. I always sit in the back seat um, in the very back row. And um, that's kind of my go-to. But I sat up front and I still was able to see it. And um, I won't say much about this because I'm going to assume at this point that some of our listeners have not seen it. Elric hasn't seen it yet. I'll go back and see it again. It was that fun.
1: It'll be the first thing I see when I'm done. I mean, because also the main thing is the Spike, the Kiwi director who made a movie we both loved when we first saw it, which was Housebound. And it's been a long time since that.
0: Mm hmm. Um, So this is James Wan, Atomic Monster, teaming up with Blumhouse Production. Um, And I found this to be so much fun. So this is I walked away feeling about this almost identical to the way that I felt about Malignant, Hmm. where this is one of these movies that in the. 80s or the 90s i would have found as like a gem direct to vhs release and then suddenly been like holy shit you guys have you seen this bonkers ass movie but somehow in the james wan vehicle he is able to take these movies to a mall near you and make like 35 million dollars off of them which is absolutely amazing So this, it's campy, it's the best, it's just the best of a killer doll concept that you can feel. It it functions very much like a slasher, and and I will say, um, don't go into this expecting a lot of plot or a lot of character you get like 10 minutes of that. Like it definitely really pushes to get to the killer doll as quickly as possible, which is good. Cause every, that's what everybody was there for. And even at, you know, 10 30 in the morning, people were cheering for it.
1: My like, controversial um, question, because I start debating yeah. online. Is this a, which, which does it fit better with? Cause I was making dearest Dolly jokes before, but is it fit more in the canon of uh doll movie or bad robot movies?
0: I would say bad robot. Yeah, because
1: she's a robot, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, I put it more in bad robot. Okay, good um, so because she doesn't function like a doll, mm. it functions like a robot. It is supposed to be like one of these actual robots that like can connect with you and have emotional impact. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much like about the technology of it. But she connects so much that she kind of becomes like a killbot. Um, for the most part. And she picks up behaviors. like Everybody has seen the the gif of her dancing. Yeah, that's funny. Um, like she, she is able to pick up behaviors and mimic them back and essentially kind of become this kid's protector. And I have to say that when I was watching the trailer, it was very much like, that's weird special effects. Like, I don't know if I'm looking at a person in a suit or some type of VFX or something weird in between. It just moves weird. And somehow... On the screen, it totally works because it is so far into the Uncanny Valley that it's like to a creepy point. Mm. The way that she moves through the entire thing, there's just this weird motion to it that really accentuates the Uncanny Valley in a really successful Mm. way. Whereas usually um, with killer robot movies, it would make me bump a bit, especially if it's something where I'm supposed to believe, like Splice, where I'm supposed to believe that it's like an actual you know, creature that corporeally exists in the same realm as all these other people, this totally bought. Um, And 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 it was one,
1: right? I think it was a creation, right? It was something they actually which is really impressive. You can,
0: You can definitely tell that at parts, it feels like there's probably some CG enhancement. Mm. But then again, it might just be my brain reading into it because there was so much of like this uncanny valley. Like I noticed its head is slightly flatter. Like the face is slightly Mm. shorter. And it's just little things like that that just make you say like, I don't know if that feels human, but it's like it looks like a doll. It's just it's weird. But um, I will totally go back and see it again for a second time. And I just have to give a mad applaud for PG-13 horror across the board. Like, I think that is such a smart move for this movie to push into the PG-13 realm. And um, yeah, it can't be fun. It is just can't be fun. So go what see the,
1: what the last PG-13 hit was. Um, I'm sure there's one last year. I just can't recall.
0: I'm trying. It. Was Happy Death Day PG thirteen?
1: I would have. I would have guessed so. I, there's got to be I mean, one. Definitely since the second then. one. The second Happy that yeah. De- they had that. Whole, um,
0: I feel like there has to be something. since they're great. Since so. then. Mm-hmm. yeah. But um, PG thirteen horror. Okay. Well, Did you see Yule Log? Because I feel like you had to. No, have seen I,
1: I, Yule I, that Log. came out right when I left, and I could have watched it from there. But I was curious about it. do that one before the one. There's one we both saw that I'm curious about. Um, okay. Yeah, hit me with Yule Log because so- it sounded cool.
0: I'll jump in with Yulog. So Yulog, this one came out right before Christmas. Like it was literally like the week before Christmas. Like we had already stopped both of our shows um, yeah, we did our list. and Deep Cuts. Yeah. yeah, we'd already done like our top 10 list, as had most of the reviewers. Um, and then suddenly I didn't even know this was there. I saw nothing. I saw no trailers. Dick Grunert, our friend, messaged like texted me and he was like, Becca, I know how much you love like your weird, surrealist, like unedited footage of a bear type um movies. <laughs> you gotta watch this because it's by those directors. It's on HBO Max. And so that night I watched it. And this is everything I love in the world. <laughs> it's surreal. Don't go in taking it seriously as some like, you know, heavy, scary, smile-ish horror film. It's not that. This is just a wild ride i don't know if i was ever scared as much as i was just completely bemused by the entire thing like just completely just like i have no idea what's going on how many more plot lines can they shove in this i don't know where this is going but it's kind of brilliant in that same capacity um so it starts out and i wish they could have kept this going for the entire time but i see why they had to break this it starts out with a camera pointed at a fireplace and it's literally just watching this beautiful fireplace in a Cabin, and you're hearing a conversation of this guy who records fires, like uh, like fireplace fires and puts them up on YouTube. So people can put them up on their television at Christmas time. it's like the ULA mm-hmm. channel or um, he keeps talking about how he recorded this bonfire on a beach and it got like 10 million views or something like that. And so the first 15 minutes of this movie are just the stationary camera, pointed at the fireplace and then things moving back and forth and the cops enter and they're like, hey, somebody vandalized this really sacred tree that um, people were hung from up the road. Um, this wouldn't have been you. And the girl suddenly you hear her say like, oh, shit, there was a branch falling off. That's totally where I took this log from. And then the cops like, supposedly it's cursed. And then boom, you know that something's going to happen. And while they're having this conversation, you see these other two people kind of sneak across the screen, and you realize that like someone has just broken into their house. And so, right there, you've got your first two storylines, which is there seems to be some type of home invaders that are now hiding out in the house. And then you've also got this cursed log in the fireplace. Hmm. And then a few minutes later, this other group of people show up and they're like, we rented this Airbnb cabin. And then the couple are like, no, we rented this Airbnb cabin. Well, I guess we'll all stay the night. And then suddenly you've got your third plot line set up and it keeps adding and it keeps adding and it gets utterly insane. Um, And they all somehow function in tandem. Aliens show up at one point. Um, and every single one of the storylines pays out. Every single one of the storylines goes somewhere.
1: Is it set at Christmas? But-
0: yes, it is set have at to Christmas.
1: wait one year before I can watch this.
0: Before you can watch it again. <laughs> and I will say, the curse log, this is what everybody knows it as. Eventually, the curse log leaves the fireplace mm. and starts killing people, oh. which is just absolutely amazing um it's surrealistic it's absurdist it jumps from plot line to plot line um it does not stay on that stationary camera of the u-log the entire time eventually it goes back to like a third person omniscient regular style of filming um when he moves the camera and then it goes found footage for a couple of minutes and then and it just goes to regular filming. Um, so you get those kind of three different types. I I think when I first saw the camera pointed at the fireplace, I was like, if they do this for the full 90 minutes and are, are somehow able to make a movie out of the stationary camera, it will be the most brilliant thing of the year. They did not do that. And I got why, because it would be damn near impossible mm-hmm. with all of the five different plot lines they had going on. <clears throat> but somehow it was still incredibly successful. Um, and a mad shout out. The um I'll call her the mother of the um the strangers-ish slashers who break into the house, the home invasion characters. The mother is played by Tordy Clark, who is um my woman. I I called her my prophet or my charon at the beginning of Glorious, the one who's oh, yeah. sitting on the picnic table. Um, because this was made by the adult swim folks out of Atlanta. And so that same region I shot Glorious in, right outside of Miss. Mississippi. And um, yeah, so Torty is in this one as well. And she's amazing. So yeah, it was it was really good to see her in that.
1: All right. So, one year from one now, was I'll, fun. Answer, I'll answer this call. Even,
0: even without Christmas, if you're looking for something really weird, really absurdist, surrealism, you know how much I love my like crazy absurdism. This was a treat. All
1: right. Well, let's go to one that uh, I guarantee you that won't be the, the strangest formal uh execution of a movie we talk about today but uh the next one i was curious about your thoughts because i think you just saw a nice short uh, a couple of days ago when i was in bed uh netflix's the pale blue eye by scott cooper who made antlers he's made actually a lot of uh, pretty mm-hmm. hard-hitting dramas prior to his segue into oh, often with christian bell uh into a segue into horror recently uh i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one first
0: i just watched this one last night uh-huh. and there were parts of it that i absolutely loved and then other parts that i was bored to tears like the board level where i'm like i'm gonna go get some cheese and i don't pause the movie i'm just like eh, i'll catch back up in like a minute well, after i come back with
1: cheese i like police procedurals and that's what mm-hmm. ultimately this is but this is the most procedural procedural and it's literally like oh now we're gonna talk to this person now we're gonna and at a certain point you're like okay and and then it's two hours and ten minutes you're like you could have shortened this by
0: oh my god um, i there is a great 90 minute version of this yeah, much more
1: exciting yeah like like mm-hmm. the on the plus side uh all the performances for the most part are really solid bale's great henry the, melling's particularly interesting as guy yeah playing poe yeah, playing i mean like
0: That accent for the region, his delivery—it was beautiful. Uh, Gillian Anderson's a little
1: miscast, a little bit, or just too small a role. But she's—but I always like her. Lucy Boynton from the Black Coats' daughters in there. She's the girl Mm -hmm. Toby Jones. Uh, And then weirdly, Charlotte Rampling, who's to me like a major star. She's in like two scenes in the background as his girlfriend. I'm like, what the? Is this just what Netflix can buy you? Anything (laughs) you can have (laughs) massive actors in like two scenes. But um, anyway, we'll tell them uh, us a little bit what it's about. Yeah,
0: the setup of this is that there's has been um it's set at West Point which is like this renowned military academy in New York's in New York state and um it's in the middle of winter so super snowy super bleak like 1800s i think like 1830s ish um and Edgar Allan Poe is a student there and that part is based on mm-hmm. fact yeah. Edgar Allan Poe was actually a student Briefly, um when you're yeah. when you're from yeah when you're from Virginia um you learn all the Edgar Allan Poe oh, yeah. No, like every single city around Virginia has some type of Edgar Allen Poe um, landmark in it. But yeah, he briefly went to West Point, was there very briefly before he decided he did not want to be a military leader and basically told the school he wanted to be a poet and that was it. And he failed out. And so, and that is basically the setup for this is he is there. He is there in this military program, but he is a poet and that's what he, He wants to be in. He's also fascinated with detested detective work. There's been a suicide and they have brought in this detective Landon, who's Christian Bale, um, because they thought it was a student suicide. They found him like hanging in the quad. They put his body into the morgue, left him overnight. And then the next morning they came back and somebody had, quote, defiled the body. They cut his heart out. And so they no longer think it's a suicide. They think that it might be something more sinister. And so while Detective Landon starts interviewing students, he happens upon Poe and finds him to be quite astute. And so he brings Poe on as kind of an assistant to help him with the case as they're moving forward. Suddenly there are more murders. All of these other students are being found, and a couple of animals as well are being found without hearts, without organs, one without genitals, if memory serves And so and it's Poe and this detective literally spending two hours interviewing people to try to figure out what is happening and who what is causing these murders. It's got a real strong occult bend. And so the occult side, the murders themselves and some of kind of I'll say more of the the cypher stuff, the, the following clues I was really into um all of the interviews you're right it's where it lost me it's where i made my cheese trips to the kitchen which also says a lot about my viewing habits if i'm just like i need cheese and then i'm off for yeah, 2 minutes yeah it has a nice um.
1: icy um style to the way the film looks but the but the yeah. filmmaking doesn't have it's not telling you the story visually it's it's letting yeah. it all be told through the dialogue and the meetings and to me you know films really can lose you at that when they're kind of expressing themselves that way so mm-hmm. but it's not terrible it's like very middle of the road it's on netflix now i think some people will really like it uh more than others but to me it was kind of like eh, a lukewarm start to the year
0: it was it was okay yeah. for me yeah it was just okay um i recommend it with cheese and uh i will say enjoy it while you can because i've been so i don't even know if this is like common knowledge right. but a lot of the studios will release what they call buyer mandates Where every, you know, couple of quarters or twice a year, they will release kind of a general knowledge of things that they're looking for. We're looking for kids on bike shows, no romantic dramas or things like that. Um, And I've been they've been rolling out over the past couple of weeks. And on most of them, I have seen no period pieces. Hmm. And so I'm going to like, why is everyone against period pieces all of a sudden? I'm seeing it both on TV and film. Um, you know, my problem the with period
1: pieces, I've told you this before. My part, period, period problem, not like 70s, but like, you know, 1800s is that I know everyone is already dead. And so, like, if I know everyone <laughs> in the story is dead, the stakes are much lower. Like, I don't care if the detective's dead, Poe's dead, you're all dead.
0: They're not you know, technically. Feel, no, they're dead
1: to me. They're not, al- they're not alive. And so it's all, you know, you got no stakes. Everyone's so dead. So
0: because they may have died 70 exactly. years later, I'm not even scared. Watch, Whatever. Like a romance. Who cares if you get stabbed? I mean, you're going to die in the
1: 1800s I'm watching <inaudible> anyway. and the two characters come together and I'm like, you're already dead. I don't care that you're kissing <laughs> in the rain. You're you're dead, you know. Oh,
0: that is that was so nihilistic.
1: on all things. Period. The end. Uh, so I'm with I'm with that trend. Uh, well,
0: I will say this movie probably cost a fucking fortune. It plus, fun. it was all it was. Plus, it was all source lighting. It looked really cold. Yeah. Like shooting in the snow in general is just a miserable experience. Yeah, so, it didn't look fun. God bless the filmmakers for that. It looked like it was not a fun shoot. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it it was. It was okay.
1: <laughs> um, did you get to, I don't know if you ended up having time to watch the much, uh, getting much talked about, much hyped through the internet machine because it was leaked at one point and that is uh, the up and coming Skinnamarink. No, I okay. did not
0: get to watch that yet. It is sitting in my email inbox. Okay,
1: so I'll, I'll, uh, there is not no way I could spoil this anyway. Uh, it was. I keep
0: hearing scariest movie okay. of the year.
1: I don't even know if I'd use the word movie. I think that might over... <laughs> Type it, And I don't mean that even as a slam, I just, this is not, it's a movie in the same way Begotten or things like that are movies, those experiences, oh. it's an experience, it doesn't have imagery like Begotten, but it is as abstract and as singularly made as Begotten is, and and would probably if it wasn't, I I mean, look, I'm all for that it's getting this first theatrical window, but I think a movie like this works better as something that you're seeing on the internet or on your computer personally. Uh for me, I watched it in the dark on my internet, you know, on my computer from a screener that we got legally, but this was a film that was yeah. heavily probably the most pirated thing this year because uh unfortunately the director had a it was a very early screening for a festival. It somehow got um
0: it was at Fantasia. It played yeah, at Fantasia. But I don't know if it was Fantasia I was.
1: Was, was the problem. I'm saying like one of the festivals it played at, at the start had some sort of security issue and it got out and then suddenly it was everywhere. Oh. And it actually is the reason, though, because of this leak. I wouldn't suggest this for all movies, right? But for a movie like this, it kind of makes sense. It became this viral thing. And on all the Reddits, everyone's saying scariest movie ever. And I think because of that leak is why it's potentially getting a mm-hmm. release. Um, it might be really scary in a theater. But this movie is so abstract. So my review... So
0: is it experimental? That's kind of my gauge. Definitely, definitely so experimental.
1: Okay. But in a way, it's very rigorous. And I'm very impressed that this... Pre- so, okay, the the story... Two kids wake up in the middle of the night uh, and they're looking for their dad. They don't live with their mom. They can't find him. But not only that, there are no longer windows or doors or anything in the house. And there's just like cartoons running and stuff. Now, everything's kind of changed and vanished. Now, that alone sounds like a unique kind of could even be a big Netflix kind of movie. What Mm -hmm. is so interesting about the movie is it. I mean, talk about rigorous. It never shows a character's face. So so already a 100 minute movie it not once does it show one of the characters face so you see the kids the kids nope. you see the kids feet you see <sighs> you hardly even see upper body type stuff you can wow um, it is shot in so much darkness the entire film which i think is a big part of the the point of the movie is that you start to see things at times like that aren't there that are just how you're seeing the image um and it pushes them to very abstract like you'll see childhood toys you'll see uh, an old tv playing old like you know uh clearance free cartoons you'll hear the phone ring you'll see weird lights from other rooms you'll hear and so basically what it's doing effectively and it is really effective so i don't i'm not slamming it when i say it's not really a movie but people it, it does it's hard to compare because you haven't got an emotional connection to a character in a way in traditional movies do but what you do have is tons of atmosphere uh it's basically that happens you're wondering about 30 minutes in i was like what is gonna happen it's just two kids going should we go upstairs should we go downstairs what do you want to do kind of thing and then suddenly you hear the voice going you know like Kylie, come up here. Like this creepy voice. And what it mm-hmm. does, and I have read, I did read an interview afterwards because I was curious, and it's effective. Is while I was watching it, I, that, I was just telling you about that first night of having COVID before knowing I had COVID. I had such fitful, uh, I had that fitful sleep where you're not actually sure if you ever got any sleep. Like it's so fitful, you can't remember when you wake up. Did I actually sleep at all or was I always in this in between state? This entire movie is yeah. trying to, an attempt to recreate that in-between state but when you were a kid and how the world looked and that you never see everything clear and you're kind of dreamy so the whole movie is shot like that it's i mean it's really impressive in terms of just the rigor of going i'm just gonna only do this and that's the movie Uh, um there's parts there's a couple parts that are super creepy because of the voice and little just being in the dark and stuff um i think from i think it'll be super effective for some people more than others i i still like character identification so for Mm -hmm. me i i I can't get that creepy. I can get a little like, ooh, this is a weird found object. It's definitely more in the found footage world, even though you wouldn't people wouldn't call it a found footage film. But to me, it's maybe more of a found footage film than a f than what we think of as found footage films, because it's like you're just watching this footage unravel. Um and it's, you know, kind of impossible. But there's not much more to say except that it's like an experience. I think people should definitely check it out. So, uh we're going to the World's Fair was far more like they're similar like i could almost imagine this being the film the girl and we're we're going the world's fair was watching from last year but that film because it has a central character but they're they're coming from a similar place which is Mm -hmm. it's almost like a new place for horror which is what's happening online and the exchange of imagery and you know what could be traded in these nebulous spaces i i I think it's a very interesting movie um i just i still i think it's going to take me a while to kind of go oh what what is that? And that's cool. Cause I think that's, it's intention in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. I have seen the reviews have either been like, this is the scariest, most disturbing thing ever, or three out of five. I don't really know what to make of it. Um,
1: well, cause I've think, looked at a bunch of the reviews. I think this would have been a lot scarier. Like if you go to a movie theater and sit down to watch this and maybe I'm going to be wrong. People are going to see it this coming week in movie theaters. I'm very curious if they're, terrified and it might well work that way but i also wonder if this was something that was even scarier for people who discovered it leaked into the internet mm-hmm. and found it and thought what is this footage i'm now because it never says i'm a movie it has it has credits but it you really you're watching the whole time waiting to find out what's gonna what's gonna come next and i think that you know that in itself is really interesting so uh, i definitely recommend it i think all will har- people should watch it and check it out and see what they think. But yeah, I think some people it will get under the skin more than others. And maybe it's, um, I I bet you younger people might get more under their skin because that's, they spend maybe more of their time like watching stuff on the internet. I don't know.
0: I'm excited. I, I read one review that talked about it in sense of your childhood home. Oh, yeah. Of like the memories of your childhood home and how you memorize every element of the home. And like he's where done everything that. Is. He, this is set and, in
1: 96. I think a credit does come up at the start. And that I and it's his house in Alberta or whatever. And there, there mm-hmm. will be toys that you will recognize and things. But a lot of it is in such darkness. You'll only see a little bit, you know, because it's never brightly lit. It's all it's quite dreamy. And, and, but I do think it's about that dreamy space. Cause like, it really reminded me of that when it, when it ended and I was like, it almost felt like, oh, did this person tap into what I just was suffering a couple of days ago? And which is interesting, you know, not enough yeah. weird movies and experiments, literal experiments get made. Um, You know, they have to be independent.
0: Yeah, no. And this one I was just reading was $15,000. Yeah, That's a-
1: Awesome, but that makes sense. If you watch it, you're not going to be like, "Oh, that's crazy." You know, it totally makes sense because it is an experimental film. You're not paying for a SAG actor, and you know, it is very different. But yeah, Skinnerink uh, definitely should be on every horror, uh, person's radar.
0: Excellent. Okay. Um. Well, I'm going to go to one of. Do I even have it in front of me? I do. Um, one of, I got so many books at Christmas time. Yeah. That was like, my big thing is I just bought books. Um, so, and I asked for books for Christmas. Um, so I started with this one just cause it was short. It's like a novella size. Um, this is by Adam Neville who most yeah. folks know for writing the ritual. Yeah. Um, but this is, I picked this up because somebody had told me like, it's really bizarre, but there's a lot of aquatic horror in it. And so I was like, okay, I'm in. And this is word and other derelictions. Hmm. And what this is um these are not standard horror stories by any stretch. He's doing something really interesting here. And I found it to be really captivating. What it is is Adam um Neville is creating these scenes. He's basically there are no characters in this book. Hey, we just hmm. talked about this. There are no characters in this book. Instead, he will spend the chapter describing the scenery of what is existing there. And then you have to figure out what happened. Mm. Um, And he'll eventually tell you, like he'll he'll walk you through the whole thing, but you'll hear about the bodies and the way that they are, you know, kind of splayed out and the residue on them. And then how the things are arranged around, like the very first one is on a ship. It's on like a a sea ship. Mm. And it talks about the destruction and how the bodies are arranged. And it's kind of like, as if The writer or a camera were kind of moving through the space and what you see in order leading up to the thing that will tell you like, holy shit, something attacked this ship from underneath and like ate everybody. I found it to be really fascinating because it was setting up these horrors that were just really cool. Like there was a cult one, this like cult ritual one where it was basically on an island and he was exploring the aftermath of some type of like a mass cult um, suicide. And it was just and, and there were a lot that were aquatic horror in there. Like the whole thing had like a real strong seaside bend to it. And I found it to be real captivating because you are examining these kind of like after humans, after everyone has been killed, you're just examining the environment. Um, Nothing's going to jump out. But at the same time, they were somehow still haunting. Like I was still thinking about that cult one days later. And so it it essentially paints scenery and settings of environments after all humans have been exterminated from them. And so it was because they're all very isolated environments. It was cool and it was a real short read like each one of these is like four pages long and it was just like i read one at a doctor's office i read one at the dmv um and yeah it was just a really fun trip so i at least wanted to mention that just because he's got some really cool stuff in here. That so that title? is word with a y y r w y r d word and other derelictions
1: interesting yeah that one's kind of yeah that does sound like a good follow-up to uh the abstract film um i saw one last night that i hadn't heard of i i because i started my i always keep a letterbox list last year of all the rlc and i kind of rank it before we get to our top 10 but as mm-hmm. i go and so I've, there's only two movies out so far this year that I've seen, but one of them I hadn't heard of yet and I'm really glad I looked it up because I watched it really late last night called Candyland and it if I just read is this, the,
0: this is the truck stop prostitute, yeah, tr- right? Yeah, it's <laughs> truck
1: stop uh, you, know, with, you know, truck stop woman kind of movie and I if I just read that I probably would have passed in the seventies. I would have loved it. And the modern they tend to be the grindhouse ripoffs, and they mm-hmm. and they do put the bad filters and they and I just can't get through a movie. So I didn't know, but I took the risk and I pushed play, and I was so relieved. This is somebody doing a seventies truck stop movie, but it's set. Oh, this one's set in ninety six. Maybe not the last one. Um, what was so cool is it has the vibe of one of those films. The hangout, the sexuality. It doesn't pull any punches. It's really like a lot of nudity, um, but all you know, to serve the point of what these characters are uh, with the modern technology, modern cameras, so it's not trying to be the 70, but it feels more like a Sean Baker focus uh, before it becomes a horror film, and that impressed me, so I was like, oh, I thought it was going to be like really kind of cheesy for a second.
0: I was expecting kind of rednecky, like... Well, like it has up. a
1: little bit of that, but it's like, so basically you meet, it's like literally just opens, there's a girl riding a guy in a truck, and she gets out, and then you follow her, and then the credits bang up, and then you meet her, like, three or four friends who, they all work there. One of them is Owen Campbell, the guy who's the, the filmmaker in X, and he's from Super mm-hmm. Dark Times, and he's a male prostitute, and he's the only male prostitute, and the others are uh, all woman, and they're all really likable. I mean, that's the thing. Usually movies like this live or die. In the 70s, you'd get really likable characters having good conversation that's what this is and they all live in this one little lot and they all kind of do their business in this one truck stop area or in the bathrooms and at the same time there's this religious group who are trying to convert people and they sound a bit like a cult because they keep talking about uh a cleansing that's coming and so that's the horror so even if this hadn't had horror this the last act goes all the way horror and i'm glad it did it was good but like even if it hadn't and it had just been like a hangout sean baker style I I think I would have been really into it because I was getting into the characters. I really liked them uh, and I liked their voices, but, um, so you get you get to know all these people there's a kind of a madame older character she also kind of runs the little motel that they all have a different room at and she takes a cut anyway you get to know them in the first few scenes you get to know the religious group and then basically the plot kicks off where this actress who's become pretty big lately her name's uh, olivia lucardi she was the star of that one soft and quiet last year that mm-hmm. i didn't actually like but a lot of people do um and something else before that she has that interesting gap between she I think she was in the last season of um channel zero she was the younger one uh-huh. and has a really interesting gap between her teeth that just she's stands out you'd notice that um aspect of her kind of smile and she is been rejected from the religious group and she's like you know she's a virgin she's you know 20 20 something has never been near normal people you know she's like part of this cult she shows up with these girls and you can't tell if she's trying to infiltrate the group or if she actually is weird and as it goes it's pretty clear that she is uh cleansing people uh that are sinners and when she goes about it she has this cross that opens up and has a blade inside and it's really interesting at the first couple the the very first one you kind of see uh, the first death you see kind of background and i thought it was gonna be a little camp and i was like oh Uh what a bummer because this movie kind of grounded itself well and it never goes there it actually stays consistent and so she slowly is kind of being ushered into their world but they think she's becoming one of them but actually she's eradicating people and it kind of builds to really i thought a really interesting Pretty full on last kind of 20 minutes. And there, it was just unique. I had no expectations that said, but it wasn't the thing I feared, which was like a cheesy version of the same movie. And so I, had I fun. was
0: expecting this to be what I think we would have seen if this movie had come out mid 2000s, yeah, which totally. is like. Somewhere at like sleazy, over the top torture porn kind of uh, winking at Grindhouse, but still trying to be way more extreme than Grindhouse ever was. Yeah, there's was. no
1: Grindhouse anything. This oh, and, and I forgot. Wow. Like, some of the cast is uh, Josh Brolin's daughter Eden Brolin. I didn't know that's who she was, but she was very good. Um, but William Baldwin plays a the local sheriff and uh it's funny because he used to be the very good looking uh baldwin brother he was the very handsome Uh guy back in sliver and now now he just looks like daniel baldwin it's like they all eventually just look like daniel baldwin and (laughs) we all just uh, devolve maybe we all become daniel baldwin um but uh he is playing the local sheriff and he's interesting because he always pulls up to get a piece of owen campbell's character and so he's the sheriff who's always wanting to have sex with the male uh jiggler and it's And and the guy is not that keen on him. So it's just, you know, kind of a fun thing to see him playing uh, against type. But yeah, this movie was a nice little surprise. Uh, And it definitely does go full horror. If you're watching the first 30 minutes, you might think it's much more observational. But uh, yeah, I had fun with that. Candyland. Wow. And I wouldn't have known it existed if I hadn't looked up horror 2023 new releases. And there's only been three films.
0: (laughs) So I have to admit, and it was the, it was the, the, Cover the poster that Mm. did it for me because it is like that sexy, it feels very 2005. Yeah, Um, I actually did see that, and
1: that didn't look good. It looked a little obvious. Yeah, but I will say it it says unrated press
0: on this, and I think I actually have a screener copy in my email, and I had just been like, eh maybe I would suggest Um, making
1: sure because this version that I push on said unrated edition which must mean they must have tried to release a rated one which is a shame Mm -hmm. because some of the nudity and stuff is what makes this work because we see so little of that in modern genre stuff that when you watch it in this and it's part of their jobs it totally works for me like I'm like yeah this is what I expect from a movie like this you know so it's not just titillation it just feels like it's like very A to B this is nudity is just part of the gig guys you know um so to me that was cool I thought that was like a fun change up not a director I had heard of before John Swab but looks like he's made a few films
0: well what is the other recent one because both of the other two that I've got are 70s so you got anything else contemporary Uh,
1: yeah I could I could bust through I did want to ask you did you see white noise
0: I didn't yet I've heard that one's really good yeah I guess (laughs) like Noah Bomb, I mean
1: I don't know what the fuck he was thinking making it I mean Noah Baumbach makes such like you know what a Noah Baumbach movie is going to be. That's
0: why I didn't see it, uh, is I tend not to like Noah Baumbach I mean, movies. I do I
1: do like his movies, a lot of them. Not maybe as much lately, but like his early stuff. But this is so tonal. Like, it's a good book. I read it a long time ago in college. Uh, it goes all over the place. It's probably the most tonally, all- like purposely all over the place. Like, it just needs all these different tones. It's got parts that feel like, what was that one? Don't look up that I didn't like from a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's got moments like that, but other moments... But- Adam Driver's like phenomenal and he's so funny and weird. He's, he's like almost playing if um, the guy from Christmas, if Chevy Chase and, uh Vacation was a professor of Hitler studies, that's what this movie kind of is, which is very strange. Um, but it, what, what I will say, it's not a horror film by any means, but it's kind of dealing with existential dread virus and it has two nightmare sequences in it that were actually quite great. And I would so that's one of the only reason I was going to mention it to horror people. is like there's just, you know, there's one particularly where he, he's having a nightmare and it's really well put together. It's a very good sequence. But it's it's got some fun stuff. The end credits are phenomenal. You're going to love the end credits because it's a big dance thing and it's really cool. But it's a, it's a wacky movie. I, I wouldn't necessarily bring it up here on the horror show except for those nightmares. And the other one, uh, I've got one that I want to end with in a sec. But I did want to mention because I finally saw it. We were meant to see another movie last year together. That you're very excited about and I was not at all. And guess who was correct? Pray for the devil. Uh... Yeah, this is-
0: I almost rented this one last night and I was like, oh, the reviews killed it. That's it's like eight bucks. And I was like, I'm going to watch that blue eye thing on Netflix. It's free. If
1: you watch Devil Inside and it got to that part where it told you what internet website to go in, and you're like, man, that was awesome. You should totally watch Pray for the Devil. Uh, you, you get just <laughs> this is it. This is the secret. Uh, it, it's perfectly. Doesn't
0: it send you to a website or maybe a phone line? It, it doesn't. No, it's just
1: very generic. And it's like, you know, it's pretty
0: number I can tag. It's pretty well
1: made. It, there's nothing wrong wrong with the direction or any of that it's not it's
0: Lionsgate. gate like this was well, i it's a admittedly big movie. it's a big movie i remember when this script was being like sent out to people and they were looking for directors for yeah it. no like, look it's, i could see this. it was a big deal yeah it's
1: about the first nun to kind of end up being mm-hmm. invited in um, to the ex-secret exor- exorcism world, and the world is a little cheesy. They're in that like big tech kind of facility, and it just—I don't believe that it might be the case. Don't get me wrong; it might be based on reality. I—I I did like the lead actress. Like the one thing I walked away from the movie, I was like, "Oh, who is she?" I'd be curious to see her in more stuff. And you know, Jacqueline Byers was her name. Um, mm-hmm. she—you know—it starts with a young girl who has a lot of trauma. It's her when she was a kid. Wasn't
0: she on? Oh gosh, I can't even remember. She was on a TV she show. Should be. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I wasn't familiar with her, and um, she. When she was young, her mother had issues, and we don't know if they're personality issues or psychological issues or if she was possessed, but she believes she was possessed. And she grows up to wanting to deal with this. And then they meet a little girl and she gets very personally involved. I, I, my major issue, and this is what my letterbox review was, is like, I cannot, and I don't think I'm ever going to watch another one of these after this one, watch these movies where people give the demon that you're like superpowers. Like, literally, mm-hmm. they are indestructible. There, there's a scene where she comes down. They're trying to perform an exorcism and without even motioning their hand, the the invisible thing is able to throw 10 different priests in different directions, hundreds of feet. And you're like, okay, well, if you could do that, why are you sitting still for the exorcism in another scene? It makes no fucking sense. And it, speaks to the brilliance of Freakin's movie that because which I watched that again for the first time in a few years this year, somehow, even though he's been copied a billion times, every movie since has copied it's still scary. And I'm like, how is this one mm-hmm. still scary? And every movie that ripped it off is not scary. And I and even though they do a couple big things in it, if Regan was able to throw you anywhere she wanted at any time, then there'd be no stakes to anything. And and it's just it's absurd and it's like watching a bad superhero movie and I'm like this is just dumb at a certain point if the demons can do anything then why are they sitting in this room waiting to be mm-hmm. exorcised. So so I think anyone listening up to make I don't think I'll ever watch another possession exorcism type thing unless somebody is approaching it like in a new way where it's like okay we're going to like last exorcism was kind of fun. I remember when that one first came out. Uh just a slightly different angle on it but it is you have to. I
0: liked something. last exorcism. Yeah. I thought that one was really fun. Yeah.
1: But I, but there's a really good one I did want to recommend. I don't even know if you've, you've seen this one. I start back in the video store days called Requiem and it's not even billed as a horror film, it's billed as like a drama from like Norway and it is almost takes place like a real ex, like it's kind of like the real um, what's the
0: 2006 something
1: like that. It's it's got a cover with just a girl on the cover and I remember watching yep. it's a very realistic depiction of somebody who is either possessed or has issues and that was the last time an i saw one so
0: epileptic unlikely. girl suffers a breakdown her first year at university and seeks the help from a priest yeah
1: and so that's like the aversion that does this completely grounded if you're looking you know for an antidote to uh pray for the devil
0: <laughs> oh she's possessed by six or more demons that's yeah fun or it's based on a woman who, who was that, supposedly yeah. yeah supposedly and it also um so the same woman that was the basis for requiem was also the woman who was the basis for exorcism of emily right. rose another exorcism movie that holds yeah and that one's wow. the only
1: difference there is that has such a big court case is such a big part of yeah it. um but yeah, it's still a great performance in that one um Very cool. so yeah not, not not down with these superhero um
0: <laughs> oh superhero demons no, not a fan no Um, well, I'm going to take us to the 1970s now, because as soon as January hit, I was like, I'm going to start in with some of my Giallo films. And I I actually allowed to do them here. I
1: thought we're saving them for. uh... I'm going to do two.
0: I've got a couple. I've got a couple that I'll save for for our countdown in my deep cuts. But um, I've got two because this one isn't even technically a Giallo, but it's like a Giallo adjacent. It's like the other Giallo. Um, So I had not seen De Palma Sisters. I dare say ever, I feel like I probably watched it at one point in high school. I had no recollection of it. Like it was one of those where I've always been like, yeah, I've seen that. Well, what happened? I I don't remember. And then I sat down to watch it. And I was suddenly like, I don't remember this for shit. Um, so I don't know if I ever actually did watch it or if I just assumed I had because it was De Palma. Um, but anytime I've, you know, De Palma is known for everything that he did, especially in those 70s, is so Giallo infused. Um, mm-hmm. And I talked about Dressed to Kill on uh, Deep Cuts a couple of weeks ago and so I had sisters ready to go and I decided to watch this and yeah this is even more of a giallo than Dress to kill is um, the setup of sisters super psychosexual um, sexy model you find out that she's got this sister who used to be her um, Siamese twin that she's been separated from but her, her sister is crazy and she starts seeing this new guy but she finds out that it's her sister's birthday and so her crazy sister is in town and seems to be threatening her and then it gets completely bonkers and then from there like the whole thing takes place within the next 12 hours like it almost feels like real time how it rolls from there how About that gets-
1: bedroom kill though uh, that's all I'm going to say that's a great kill
0: wild yes. unhinged yeah. it's all about boyerism as well because the kill is witnessed by a woman across the street who is suddenly like I'm calling the cops <laughs> yeah it gets Let's real real yeah. window where she calls the police and it's like no I saw this dude die in this apartment and then it's completely cleaned by then and she's like I don't know what you're talking about out. And then it makes the other woman feel like she's going crazy, and it is just God. Margot Kidder was such a good actress. Yeah, she really like, was. Yeah. Performance, it's just so good because she's playing both of the sisters. Yeah, she's good. Um, and, I, and across the board, yeah, it's just a dynamite, dynamite, and has a in very good.
1: Um, I mean, it might be politically incorrect now, but it's at the time it was very funny. It's a visual joke where they go to a restaurant, and it's like the
0: racist yeah, undertones. But, I won't say racist, no, like he, the yeah, racial. Yeah, he's pointing undertones. them out, like
1: Depama's yeah. De definitely he's really in on the joke, pointing them out. But it's hilarious, yeah. where it cuts to the kind of restaurant. It's 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 one for the visual gag ages, I think. But
0: yeah, no, it is, and I even wrote that down as a note that it does have. Um, these really strong racial undertones because it becomes like part of the commentary and it's very off-putting and said kind of whispers, but like uh, she was dating a man of another color, and so and it's kind of built into the subtext of the movie, just making the society feel even more unnerving. Um, well, his so, early yeah, it's stuff, you know, very much there. Yeah, De
1: Palma's early stuff, like High Mom and all that, is he's that's what he's doing. He's fucking with all sorts of things like that, and then he. he Sisters is where he changes, and as I think Tarantino put, puts in his book about there's a chapter on Sisters. He talks about how this is the moment where De Palma chooses to to basically rebrand himself as the master of the macabre. Like he realizes, oh, you got Hitchcock and you got Argento just started, and he kind of rebrands, and that's what you get from this movie onwards. Which before that he and, was making like Godardian stuff. So yeah, and directions. this was
0: an interesting thing for me because I always kind of in my brain mistakenly i recall palma from the uh, de palma from the 1980s yeah. like i always think 1980s de palma so i always assume that we had our strong giallo wave and then that influenced De Palma, and then like ten years later, he starts doing that thing, yeah. and that's not the case. Like Sisters is 1972.
1: Yeah, he doesn't this- claim any influence by Giallo at all, except that he that it's questionable he might have seen like a couple of things. You know, he, wow. he, there's a good chance he saw he could have even seen Argento's, like even around the similar kind of timing. But no, this, that feels. Yeah.
0: So impossible with like the black gloves and the razor blades. It just feels unlikely, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, we'll let you also a we'll lot let Hitchcock. You I mean,
1: there's a lot of Hitchcock there in his stuff. So, yeah. so I think they're, but, but you know, who knows the reality? Cause those guys are cinephiles, yeah. right? So they, they could have seen. Anything.
0: Yeah, I really but I mean, what shocked me was that um, in this case, it's not Giallo influenced because this was right as Giallo, which I'll talk about in a sec, right as Giallo was really picking up steam, we were starting to see this kind of influx of Giallo. It was not making its way stateside in saturated form yet to the point where i would have been like giallo you know at in 1972 let's say 71 when he started production or 70 he has not seen 20 of these and he's thus referencing and winking at them like they weren't it was happening in tandem right so yeah which shocked me because i always assumed that it was like this direct influence
1: he might have seen those german crimmy films that had some they they definitely were less the sexy they didn't have so much of the style and the sexiness of the giallo Mm -hmm. film so who knows but it is the timing is interesting and I I think from now on we should call all American giallos giallos and the Italian ones giallos and that way we don't have to really change when we talk about the American ones we can just be like giallo uh,
0: wait I have to say giallo 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 Giallo. it took so y'all remember there was an ad that we did a couple of episodes ago for our really fun kids book called my first giallo book um and it took me like because the Word jalo was used so many times yeah. during that I had to concentrate because I'd slip up every couple of ones and say jello, or, jello it's like reggae. Or, you're like jalo. It's like giallo.
1: Ja, jalo,
0: jalo. I kept it's two syllables. Let's get jalo.
1: Anyway, oh, um, it, it's it. it uh, yeah, no, those those. It's sisters is a really cool little movie. It's got mm-hmm. some weird, wacky stuff that and experiments that he's always trying new formats or s- certain split screen stuff that some work, some doesn't. But the thriller elements all work. The hard I love the work,
0: split. Screen because it was like it was like something that like I wish I could just casually do where he was literally covering a scene from two different angles simultaneously. that's cool. And thus he was crossing his own line that he was making at that exact moment. Like it it really was disorienting and 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 the
1: hard thing because I watched uh Gaspar Noé's film last year was one of my favorite year films and it's on two screens and it's like the bummer is like. You know, if you're making Sisters with split screen, you're thinking people are watching that on a big ass movie screen. Mm-hmm. So you have no fear doing split screen. Nowadays, you would be pretty dumb to make a split screen because, you know, they're going to end up watching. How are you going to watch split screen on your phone or on your TV as, or your you know laptop or whatever? It's not going to look as good or as clear. and It's tough. You know?
0: I also didn't think Gaspar Noe's um, Lux Aeterna used the split screen nearly as well as uh-huh. De Palma did. Like De Palma uses it as like a plot device where you're seeing the scene from two different angles and you're realizing that one POV is vastly different from another one. Um Lux Eternate just seemed kind of like a an aesthetical choice. Yeah,
1: that one, uh, that one's just more of an experiment in general. But yeah. the Vortex one's very emotional. It's a very good mm-hmm. movie. And, and speaking of which, Dario Gento is the star of it. So
0: Oh, I, I'm sorry. I have not seen Vortex again. He used yeah. split screen in Lexie as yeah, well, yeah. so I assume that's no. What you this were what the, about. this
1: Vortex, the whole movie, I think, is split screen. Yeah, I think you're just watching Isn't two screens. The
0: what time. about Alzheimer's?
1: Yeah, well, it's not really about. It's just about two old people and living together.
0: Double the sadness. It's very.
1: It is a very depressing movie, but it's very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Oh, what, quickly, uh, and I'll just. This will be my last plug in this part, uh, and then we'll finish because your yours is a better segue to our our topic obviously Uh, yeah well don't tell anyone um (laughs) last last plug because it's only kind of hard but it definitely is hard is uh the other thing i did on my covid uh, journey uh is i got to watch all six hours of uh nicholas wending reffin's new show called cowpenhogen cowboy on netflix and this is uh (laughs) you know what's cool about him he makes the most inaccessible for episode his first one every time he did that on his other show too old to die young it is glacial slow you wouldn't have a clue what the narrative's about it's unreal how inaccessible he goes about trying to make his first episode like i can't imagine many average americans turning this on and getting through the first like 10-15 10-15 minutes because i think they'd just be like what am i watching but uh it's really fucking interesting and it, when it, where it goes in one of the episodes towards the end you actually builds towards like a vampire subplot there is really it's all set in the drug criminal world of copenhagen this young uh girl who looks a lot like the young boy from stranger things who is trapped in the further um mm-hmm. she is kind of like Maybe supernatural. I, I even by the end of the show I'm not a hundred percent sure, but she is a young they she people think she brings luck, so they're kind of some older woman has brought her to the house and she's very it's pretty grotesque the first episode. Uh and there's a bunch of girls who are being caught against their will uh to do prostitution in Copenhagen because they don't have papers, and uh that's the world of the first couple episodes. Uh and she gets there and she realizes, oh, look at all these inhumanities happening. I'm gonna use my powers to change that and then the next one you deal with an asian crime syndicate and then the third or fourth episode you're in this weird drug world of uh just kind of generic copenhagen and then and all throughout this there's this guy who lives in a castle murdering woman uh this young blonde kind of Aryan prince looking guy and he's murdering woman uh and then you start to realize he's actually part of the saint vampiric bloodline and you're watching the show going whoa it all looks like neon demon you know has the aesthetic it's all it's beautifully shot and just but it's slow and so it doesn't feel it's a a television show but not even a hint of what you think of as tv it's not tv i mean Mm -hmm. it's just six hours of the least TV thing you've ever seen. I I really dug it. It was perfect to watch like this. I didn't quite like it as much as his other show was called "Not uh, Too Old to Die Young," and I thought it was like the best thing of that year a couple years ago. Uh, again, that wasn't popular either. So I think I prefer him in TV to his movies now. Um, but I don't. I haven't heard anyone except for a couple of critics who are checking this out. It seems to be a quiet launch on the old. Netflix.
0: Yeah. I haven't even heard of this one. Like I usually will watch most of the stuff that's even remotely like sci-fi fantasy or horror genre that pops up in like the Netflix top 10 um, or anything like that. And I've never I heard I don't of know this. if anyone
1: knows how to pigeonhole it except for they they use it. Like if Lynch made a show, you would just say it's the Lynch show. It's similar with this. I think it's, if, it, it's like Angel, which I love, the LA show. It's an eventing mm-hmm. Angel show like that. But in this case, it's like if, if Angel was – a fairy almost and very quiet and has very internal weird powers and very stylized shooting so it's shooting style so you know I, I think take a risk if you're into like interesting crazy cinema I think people will some people will get a real kick out of this because it goes it use so many different genres pop up as it goes and it's only six episodes you know uh, I, I wouldn't oh. judge it by the first I liked it from the start but the first one is such a grim world it goes to more interesting places after that uh, that's now cowboy
0: this is not horror, but I will mention it because I was kind of interested in the setup of it. And this one was like one of the number one shows on Netflix for the
1: entire holiday. Did you by chance watch
0: Kaleidoscope?
1: I didn't. I saw, I saw the poster for it just last night. I don't know what it is.
0: So I watched it um and the setup of it it's it's about a heist and um it's about this massive jewel heist or money heist that is like 3 years in the making and it's about this group of criminals and everything that they go through and it actually goes back at one point like 15 years as you're meeting some of the criminals um leading up to this massive like billion dollar heist and the kitsch behind it that is supposed to make it so fun and unique is that Every single person who starts watching it watches the episodes in a different order. Huh. And I don't even know how they kind of, you know, computerized do that, but like the order that I watch the episodes in and how the information is dispelled and presented to me to get to that point is going to be different from you and different from other people, because there are like 10 episodes, you know, it can be rearranged like a hundred different ways. Hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's kind of fascinating in premise. I will say like there were um, I was in for episodes one, two, and three, and then the fourth and the fifth episode bored the shit out of mm. me. And then I haven't gone back to it. So they, it's now, here's kind the
1: question. Of- Would those episodes have bored you if they'd been the first ones you watched or you That's don't know? That's a
0: great <laughs> question. I don't I'm know curious, because no. I already knew those characters by the time I got to the fourth and the fifth episode. So then seeing them 15 years prior in far less, Exciting circumstances than this, like epic heist. Um, you know, by the time I would seen them in one, two, and three, when it was like, okay, shit's going down, we're almost here, guys. It's exciting. You know, take charge. And now I'm backing up 15 years to a far more passive version of this character. It was just a a different feeling. And I don't know if I had started with that character, if I would have disliked it from the start, or if I would have been in, or if that had been my last episode, would it have filled you know, anticlimactic. Um, It's an interesting premise. I don't know if I will go back to it just because those two episodes, I was like, it was, they were cheese episodes for me where I was like, I'm going to miss some cheese. Um, And, you know, I'll just keep the show running, which is always my gauge. If I keep the show running when I go to the kitchen, it's hit or miss for me. Um, If I have to pause it, then that's that's a show. Um, But yeah, I don't know if I'll go back to it because I got distracted and then started watching other stuff like, the other thing that I watched, which I just have to briefly mm. mention, I found this show. It's a Blumhouse show on Peacock, but it is a Blumhouse true crime show about a wrestler, real life wrestler, who is like this absolutely bonkers, crazy personality, Canadian wrestler who also breeds Persian cats. That was then accused of imprisoning two of his girlfriends, and then later a third girlfriend went missing. Mm. And he is just this outlandish character with cats. Um, And it was called like Crime Cats and, you know, Crime, whatever.
1: I'm pretty um, sure it won't that, be called yeah. anything like that. Crime Cats I and just Crime. just have a feeling.
0: It, I swear it was. Oh, I swear right. that the title. Now I have to you go look it look up. But the title, it was something crime like cats. Crime Cats and Crime. Okay. Um, crime, crime Cats
1: and cats. Crime. I want that to be the title. Crime <laughs> Cats, Colin and crime. <laughs>
0: But it was a Blumhouse show, and it was. I had made it through episodes like th- four and five of Kaleidoscope, and then I happened upon Crime, Cats, and Crime, and then I was like, Ooh, shiny thing over here. And I went all through three episodes of Crime, Cats, and Crimes, and then I never went back to Kaleidoscope. Um, so I need to. I'll get back there eventually. You'll never but do no, it.
1: That's the problem no, with streaming. You'll never go back.
0: But the shiny things, no, it's too late. shiny it's too things. Late.
1: They should the have- Crime,
0: Cat, Crimes was on peacock uh, and i ha- i'll look up the title right now i know
1: i looked it up it's just called peacock's crime cats crime <laughs> and then next season's more crimes uh, which is uh, uh while you're doing that i will plug a quick book because it's never going to be more relevant than this i one of the things i read on my holiday you are going to all think i'm a sick person for reading this but uh possession just hit shudder that's the first time it's streamed that is exciting because a lot of people can't haven't been able to afford a fancy fancy blu-ray that's always out of print of this particular movie that i have been talking about for so many years i wanted to talk about the tiny little book the devil's advocate press books that are always really mm-hmm. nice One. this one was written by uh, i think she's australian Alison taylor is her name and you know because this is a topic i feel like i know quite a bit about this movie i did read it anyway and i really liked it and i thought she did a really good job of like half of the book is just about the production so that's already worth you watching if you watch this movie and they're like, how the fuck did this movie exist? Read this is good. Some of it comes from documentaries and stuff. But there was other stuff in there that I didn't know about the production itself and some of the difficulties. And she's also looking at it now. Uh, it's somewhat problematic too, like as a production and getting performances and how you push people the same way Shelley Duvall was pushed to get uh, the performance in Shining. So some of the problems inherent to that, but not taking away from the art itself, which is important. Mm-hmm. And then the other half is analysis and and her analysis is really good. Uh, so I just read that. Um, as I was traveling and I thought this is a good chance for anyone who wants, who watches that and need a brain decompression to understand that could be a good starting point. So that is the devil advocate devil's advocate series. They're all about 120 pages. I really like that size for film analysis personally. Mm -hmm. And I think they do a lot of horror. So there's a lot of good ones like on the descent and all sorts of good movies. uh, If you, if you check up the label.
0: That's phenomenal. Okay. So crime cats, crimes, not called crime, crash crime. I'm shocked. I know, I know. It is called dangerous breed because he breeds cats. <laughs> That's, even <Blum> <laughs> That's even worse. Blum even worse Blum. No, but I'm not done. Oh. It is Blum houses dangerous breed crime con cats.
1: Oh, crime con cats.
0: Crime con cats. Wow! If you were just, it's not hard. Horror... Well, it kind How of is. no but it's real life. is
1: mentioned in any of this?
0: It is a wrestler. But, but they don't he,
1: mention wrestling in any of other title. That seems strange. Because
0: honestly the wrestling's kind of secondary okay. to the crime, the cons and the cast. Do you know which wrestler um, this was? You- yes, it was um he was from the Hart family which uh-huh. is like yeah. the big I, I big wrestling family. Yeah. Um but he was like the black sheep of the Hart family. Uh, so not Brett the um, hitman. No, no, not like you know you. the not like Owen or any okay. of like the the really Oh wait. Um, any of the really, really well-known ones. Oh, was it He's Cat part... Loving
1: Heart? Is that his name? Because I bet it is his name, given...
0: He is part of the Heart family, but okay. he apparently was, like, the youngest person ever drafted to the WWE, and then he got kicked out, like, almost immediately for being, like, too wild, like the wild card, yeah. and then he just went off and started doing his own, like, wrestling circuits and breeding cats, and then this thing happened. Okay. So it's wild. This was um this was the shiny object that pulled me away from kaleidoscope. And I ended up watching this entire thing. It's three episodes. I've watched the whole thing in one evening. Um and did not regret it. So yeah.
1: And I will be okay. running up all whether you'll ever finish Kaleidoscope and my answer is <laughs>
0: Probably not. Probably not. Um so I'm going to do one more which will be our transition into our final segment into our fun countdown of the evening. Um so because January giallo, um I had never seen Short Night of the Glass Dolls before. That's a, that was that's one of those yeah it's been sitting on my to watch shelf for probably 2 years i swear like we may have been like doing shockwaves and i placed that on my to watch shelf and i never did so I started working my way through some of those titles while I was stress cleaning and um, watched Short Night of the Glass Dolls. This one was fun. It was bonkers. This is 1971. So you're getting kind of the peak of like a surge of Giallo films coming in. Um, This is Aldo Lotto who ends up going on to do Who Saw Her Die, which is another like real classic Giallo title. Um, The setup is actually really cool. It is a corpse, a male corpse laying in a morgue and he can still think. And he's like, why am I laying here? Why am I naked? Why does everyone think I'm dead? I'm clearly not dead, but he can't move. And so you are he starts remembering things about how he ended up in that morgue, remembering that his girlfriend went missing, um, that he was accused of the crime, and that um, he was trying to figure out who the killer was because he knew he hadn't done it, but the cops were closing in on him thinking that he had done it. And so it's basically that we are flashing back to these memories of him trying to remember how he got there and it's intercut with doctors morticians and medical students leaning over him going nope he looks really dead he looks really dead i don't know why rigor mortis said set, isn't setting in that's weird but he's like really really dead and it's leading up you know they're going to do an autopsy on him like they keep talking like well well the autopsy is in 24 hours and so it's narrated by his brain as he is trying to figure out if he is dead or alive as he lays there unable to move. And we are bouncing back and forth to him and his girlfriend and how he ended up there. It gets real occulty which is fun it gets real culty in general um this one it was real bonkers but i loved that kind of the setup of it of how the the kind of mechanism worked of he is trying to solve his own murder through his mysteries while he's lying on a morgue table it's
1: very that that setup was very like the hitchcock hour or something Mm -hmm. like it's like a classic hour of tv yeah the setup is all i remember and i remember liking it but feeling parts of it were more um some of the drama was kind of like okay (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um,
0: it always is. It's a giallo film. We we'll, we won't um, you know fault it too much for having some dry moments. Well, let's but, let's stop yeah.
1: there because I had a question. I want to. So we we are going to count off five of our faves slash ensure ones we think you could you might dig.
0: Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves.
1: So what is AG1? Uh, With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things.
0: I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say, the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies and it is free from all of the eight major allergens which i was really impressed with ag1 it's a small micro habit with big benefits and it costs less than three dollars a day so way cheaper than the cold brew habit
1: Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash c-o-t-d again that is athleticgreens.com backslash c-o-t-d to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance No, but let's talk about giallo in general uh the question i have for you is uh, especially for you uh, as someone who likes shallows a lot but you're not a slasher film person i want to hear yeah. why you think you like jealous not why they're different because there's a lot of differences but why do you think because i don't i don't even know the answer to this myself it's kind of hard to hard to Quantify some of it. But why do you think you enjoy watching shows? The because they're not That's very great, scary. They're not yeah. great mysteries usually, but they are mysteries. Um, you know, for the most are. part, uh, they are very stylish. Obviously, sometimes they're very sexy. Sometimes they're not. Uh, it's all over the place on in terms of how well they're made, but they're almost always kind of enjoyable to sit and mm-hmm. watch but I don't yes. know exactly why. And you don't really like slashers, So I was like, Hmm, I wonder why.
0: You well, I will preface. I actually, there are some slashers that I absolutely love. Like there are some films that are considered slashers that I would say are my favorite films. Like they would be on like my desert Island. But what film I'm looks. saying is you would watch um,
1: any Jalo and you wouldn't any watch any film. slasher.
0: No, no, that is your very true. That's like, what I
1: mean, you know,
0: when it comes down. And I mean, there are, we've had those people on the show. I know plenty of them. Yeah. Like Jared Rivet is one where, he Turk. will watch any slasher yeah. no matter what it is um and i can't do that like and i feel for me what makes giallo so watchable is what gets lost in a lot of the um step and repeat slashers that we see come out into the 1980s like what about, i love about giallo films is and they they are they're just as formulaic as slashers but What I love about them is the visual elements are almost always a part of them. And when the visual elements aren't a part of them, those are the ones that I find to be really boring. Like there's always some Jello films that I'll watch where I'm just like, yeah, that one's
1: okay. There's a reason why like Martino could have six films on this list and Ardenta could have six films because they're such good visual directors. Some of the guys from the same period who were doing, let's say, Polisatachi films might not be as good visually. And then you watch them and they're kind of like, just people talking and getting killed and there's no other element but when they're when they're hitting that visual stuff or experimental they're way more experimental
0: way more experimental and they bring in a lot more i'd say like more cinematic styles to it like even thinking about like argento with it like you know he's gonna have crazy shots the the set pieces it's not just gonna be girl chased through woods gets hit with axe like there are set pieces i always joke in giallo films whatever the weirdest object on the set um whatever the weirdest element of the set design is someone's gonna die on it um or it will by be the, the title of the, of the movie yeah whatever the weirdest be, object
1: yeah. you can or animal or the glass or, swan
0: on yes. that blue rug yeah, yeah. is the title of the movie now yeah um and the soundtracks are always really heavily stylized like what I And that does not get necessarily lost as we see Giallo's keep going. And it's not to say that some of them don't lose it. Like I have seen Giallo's that I'm just like, I can't even make it through this thing. But what keeps me going and will make me keep souping out giallos is those elements and the murder mystery elements that some yeah. of them do have and we'll get into our list in a sec these really tightly wound moments where i'm like oh fuck i wasn't expecting that twist that's cool they're, they're
1: definitely a marginally better like even the kind of average mysteries of the whodunit are tend to be still better than most yeah. slashers most slashers are so obvious or so you know just kind of and- scooby-doo-ish
0: and a lot of I will say, again, there are slashers that I consider to be some of my all time favorite films. Like, honestly, some of the ones from the 90s, like Urban Legend. I will watch that shit any time and absolutely Wait, over love part it.
1: two, part two is better.
0: Part two is good. Podcast Part two better. is good. But um, where it starts to lose me is when you start getting into some of the very recycled ones of the 1980s where there isn't really a mystery. Like we know it's the redneck guy with the fish hook or it's the I think I just combined. Just killing, yeah. Basically. And it's the routine of the killing. And it loses the the style of the murder set piece. Like I want my murder set pieces to have something interesting about them um that is the point of watching it for me the point is not to just watch somebody get stabbed repeatedly it's to see you know the knife slice through the white t-shirt yeah, and yeah. to have that chase moment and the colors and the visuals of it like there's there's a lot more to it in most giallos not all of them yeah uh
1: the sight and sound lists came out recently Those lists that people are making to mm-hmm. and bellatar who is the most like art house filmmaker of all time i love his stuff but he's hungarian black and white he did his top 10 and the only like everything's art cinema except for one hitchcock and he put frenzy and i was like hell yes
0: i fucking but love like, frenzy but frenzy
1: is like that frenzy has set yeah. pieces that really mm-hmm. are like what we're talking about um it almost fits into a giallo in a lot of ways um
0: i got into an argument i will i will not say yeah. his name so he does not get ridiculed but um one of our professors at USC, um, I have a Hitchcock purse. Mm. And um, he, he was like, oh, God, it's got frenzy on it. And I was like, that's like my favorite Hitchcock film, dude. And he was like, it's garbage. That's like defacing Hitchcock. Oh. And I was like, I bet Hitchcock doesn't no, think Hitchcock so. Hitchcock lo- that
1: film. That's a, it's that was like, And it's funny, too. It's got great comedy.
0: Unbridled Hitchcock, no, yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, so, so some of these you will have already heard us talk about. But we're going to just list five each. Uh, I'm gonna definitely go first, only because you've actually already segued it. Uh, so that's why I want to go first. But I will say, if somebody's listening to this, because we've been doing this now, as you heard at the start of the episode for ten years, we have talked about a lot of stuff. Becca can't even I keep just, liquids. on
0: I just spilled water all the way down my fucking shirt. She's
1: classic. Where I missed her actually do it, but when <laughs> I turn to look up, she's not. She's looking with like a shocked. Buster Keaton face, and she's stroking her chest where all the water is. And I'm like, you could have pulled it off without me noticing.
0: I literally uh, just uh, took a sip, uh, and it all just came out the side of the canoe. We're really so. like color
1: commentary for our <laughs> faux pas. Uh, um, but what I was going to say is, we've been doing this forever. So we've talked about a lot of things we've done. Uh, episode, entire episodes on Giallo of screen drafts. We did a great episode, I thought. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of times you might, some of it might be repetitious. What I would say, if you're new though, and this is the whole idea of a January Jello is new to you, I think we'd probably both agree if you only watched one. As an entry, it'd probably be, at least from my mind, it'd be Bird with the Crystal Plumage. If you're looking That's for a great for, entry, like, what, is, what mm-hmm. is the genre? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What is the setup? It kind of ticks all the boxes it, it in does. a lot better way than I think Bava's ones do, because Bava's ones are so stylized to an older fashioned way of filmmaking. That mm-hmm. is awesome, but not really what this is going to become. This is going to become a modern art form. For this 10-year period or whatever it was in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um okay, so we'll just we'll just rush through a few each and give you yep. oh, these will give you some ideas of things you could watch if you haven't seen them. Uh the reason I wanted to go first was only because you actually name checked it. And it's funny because to me it's actually quite an obscure one, but you just said it's like mainstream and it makes me laugh because I don't <laughs> I don't know anyone who's seen it, but it, uh that's Who Saw Her Die, uh directed by Aldo Lada. When you said that, I was like, I don't know <laughs> if that is mainstream because I've never met anyone else. I just assume
0: film. that that is more renowned for him than uh short night of the glass dolls. I feel like he got it's, more attention for who saw or die. It, who saw or
1: die is a much better movie, but mm-hmm. actually yeah. he's known in my mind, he was known to me. And the reason I found this movie for a crazy exploitation movie called night train murders, which is to me, oh, I take that over the last had house had no on the left. I no fucking clue. He yeah. directed that. It's basically That's crazy. the last house on the left on a train movie. That yeah. is really beautifully made though for as disgusting and, mean as it is but so who saw her die this one's for um i put this like at at the end even though it's because I, I only started about a year ago and really dug it. It is um, written by the guy who wrote Perfume of the Lady in Black, which to me isn't mm-hmm. even really Jala. It's like its own genre. Uh, he wrote it. It's got George Lazenby, ex Bond, Anita Strindberg, and you know, sometimes you get fun international stars in these. This is for fans of two movies that are two of my favorites. Al, uh, if you like Alice Sweet Alice, and if you don't like, especially Don't Look Now, this has elements, mm-hmm. especially of Don't Look Now, it, it opens with a young girl in the Swiss Alps or something, and this young kid is literally slashed. She's the victim and murdered. And you're like, whoa, it's a pretty shocking opening. And then it cuts to Italy and the same thing happens again to another girl is murdered. And then the parents of that girl have to start investigating. He's a famous sculptor, I think, George Lazybee. And so it has a very don't look now vibe because it's Italy, grieving couple, uh, young girl killed. And the killer in this keeps wearing like a, a black veil, and you can get a lot of POVs through the black veil, which are really cool. But this, the thing that you will remember once you hear it, you'll never forget it has uh the best and i mean we'll say that m- multiple times but and your marconi who did a lot of these scores e- you know this one is really great because it's all using like children's voices singing and stuff and it's very mm-hmm. very creepy it's just a, this is a terrific terrific movie um you know i wouldn't say this is an entry level one like this wouldn't i would you know if you're into giallo watch this one um and it's definitely a mood piece so that's who saw her die Aldo Lado.
0: Nice. I'm going to kick off with one of Argento's slightly more obscure ones. And this is Four Flies on Grey Velvet from 1971. This is one of my fave Diallos. Um, Not one that I consider to be the absolute best. I'll, I'll get to those in a sec. But I just this is like a personal fave. I've always had a really good time with this one. It's a musician. So they're in a band. And so it's kicking off with kind of this edgy mod environment. And he's kind of being stalked by this homicidal maniac who is blackmailing him for accidentally killing a different person um, and has pictures of it. So it's got like this, this um, kind of blow up vibe where mm-hmm. he's sending him pictures and you're constantly relooking at the pictures and seeing different things in the pictures. And I like this one for the music. I like this one for the style. I like this one that it is kind of more of a blackmail and then people start dying, but it's also got this amazing mask, this kind of childlike mask with this weird grin on it comes into play
1: it looks like the baby always... face killer from Super Happy Death Day almost. like Happy
0: Death Day. It's yeah, it's vibe. got like the baby yeah. vibe to it. Um, but this is 1971. It's not Argento's first by any stretch. But this one, it didn't get a lot of love. Actually, I remember this is
1: done. I a didn't think it had a release different... until this year. I think this one was it... impossible to see outside of I always watch shitty VHS no, ones. I
0: remember this did a small, yeah. and I mean small, DVD release while I was working for Fangoria. And it was one of my very first years working at Fango. And it was probably through like a Blue Underground or something because they were huge. Yeah. Um, This would have been like 2004, 2005. It did a really limited DVD release. And I had never even heard of it before that. But I remember watching it. And then we actually modeled one of our Fangoria logos after it, after oh, the okay. cover of this, um, a couple of years later, because we loved the posters so much. So if you look hard enough, you'll find a Fango logo that looks greatly like four flies on gray velvet. Cool. Yeah. Um, that we did in the late 2000 aughts.
1: Yeah. Now that one, that one's I, and it's gaining traction now, I think because mm-hmm. it got a good release finally. And uh, I don't want to, it has a good twist and the killer's really good. And, yeah, uh, I won't say any of that. But yeah, now that one's an interesting one, and and bound to get more love. His first three films are all pretty interesting. My number, and
0: this is, I was, I was just going to quickly say, this is another one. Um, and this will come up of the whispering killer, oh, yeah. um, which is a common theme in jello films across the board. But the ambiguous gender whispering killer, um, who will call them and just be like.
1: I see you. I know where you are. And now it's a popular but they thing all on YouTube. Whisper. ASMR, you got the, you got the colors. Yeah,
0: they all whisper so well. It's such good whispering. Is, so yeah.
1: Um my number four is my deep cut, uh, but it's one that I discovered for um deep cuts. <laughs> I think two years ago and the reason I'm bringing it up because when I saw it, it was hard to find it is right now on Shutter, and I really want more people to see this one. This is called Footprints on the Moon and has always been the oh, kind of yeah. hard one. Is Luigi Bazzoni, who, it was hard though because it meant I had to leave Fifth Chord he also directed that and that's the best looking giallo in my opinion, actually the best like if somebody said what is the best shot giallo I would say it is that Fifth Chord I think it's a beautiful looking movie. Um, but Footprints on the Moon is way weirder. This would be like It's kind of like if last year at Bad* had slashing in it, that's kind of what this is. It's a woman who is a translator working at like a UN type thing where all the people in different countries are all talking different languages. She's meant to translate it. She goes home after a long day at work. And when she wakes up, she's been gone for like a week. And to her, it's just one night. And she's like, what the hell? My favorite subgenres of movies are amnesia films, Mm -hmm. seaside horror films. And anything with Klaus Kinski, this has all three of those things. It is unbelievable. So she has some sort of amnesia where she doesn't remember this period. She keeps thinking about the small seaside town that she doesn't recall ever being to. She has a postcard. She keeps thinking, have I ever been there? So she travels there on a holiday and everyone recognizes her like she's always lived there. And she's like, what the fuck is happening? And the crazy part, the reason the movie is called Footprints on the Moon, is she has these dreams that are in black and white and shot like a science fiction movie... All set on the moon, where this American like mission is going wrong. Klaus Kinski is a commander in this. He's not even in the rest of the movie. He's only appears in the dreams, which are super interesting because I've never, that's quite different from a lot of the other Jalos. This is, this one's singular, but the style of it's beautiful. And I know you will, you would be uh, excited because it, the lead actress is Florinda Balkan, who's the lead of Lizard and a Woman's Skin. And she's a, a very good actress. And just it's it's a very interesting, mysterious art house jalo film that I remember just being like, where have you been all my life? This is definitely one of my personal faves. Like it, it's just one of those ones where I'm like, oh, I love this kind of movie, and it is on Shutter, so that's exciting for people if they don't yeah. know about it.
0: Well, you don't have to be sad that you left Fifth Cord out because it is my number four. Let's keep that Luigi Bazzoni train Dude, rolling. Dude, I've looked with this guy. Up. I've only seen
1: like three of his movies and they're all awesome. He made that one called The Zest yeah. and it's great. So this is oh, yeah a really interesting director.
0: No, this one um it's again kind of you know journalist who's on the trail of a murderer but. Police start to think he's a suspect. He's and Django, maybe, by the way. Yeah, yeah and he's <laughs> Django, Franco yeah. Nero. Um, and so, and this one, it is shot like a noir. Elric was right. So this is by far the best looking um, of the Giallo films, I would say. The cinematography, the way that he handles building, architecture, lights, everything. Same guy it's who just, shot
1: Apocalypse Now, Vittorio Storaro. Yeah. He shot the first uh, Chris, Crystal Plumage as well, but really good. It
0: is breathtaking cinematography to be honest the plot it's cool (laughs) it's a very it's a very standard giallo plot of i'm investigating a murderer well you seem to know a lot about this person investigating the murder maybe you're the murderer we've seen that plot a bajillion times there's like a femme fatale in it i the plot for me i have vague like flashes of, yeah, but what is. i remember is that i didn't even pay attention to the plot because i was just like oh god the light coming in off those windows it's like he's painting the screen it's i remember beautiful. yeah a scene <laughs> where a kid
1: was in peril and in darkness and the kid's hiding and the killer's coming this, through a dark the thing. hands
0: yeah. come out of yeah, it oh god it's it's beautiful. a beautiful looking movie It had a lot of good i don't flu-ray. remember what happened to the kid but i remember those hands yeah
1: No, and that's the other thing about these movies. Like, the style is a big part of what you remember and the feeling. Mm -hmm. When I say style, I don't just mean visual. I mean audible, uh, production design, the costumes of the actual time period, the fashion of the time period. These are all parts coming together. They're all playing at once. It's not not relay when you're watching these. Um, Yeah, I'm glad that one made it on. My number three, I was the only one of these where I was like, oh, is this going to be on yours? Because I know we both love this one. Um, And it's less typical jalo and more great mystery but it's such a restrained brilliant movie by a director who is not at all restrained and that is the psychic did you put this one
0: i did not i put a similar one on well well, i just
1: i just think the psychic for it's a Lucio fulci film that did had a shitty release a long time ago and then recently Mm -hmm. finally got a really nice release it was also called murder to the tune of the seven black notes, which is very literal to the. T- That's film. a
0: damn good it's title. It's a damn good jalo title. The psychic isn't yeah. a
1: jalo title, right? Murder to the yeah. the psychic feels like a title to get into an American thriller market, and this film ticks that box. But like for a director, I love this much. Who makes crazy things like *Lizard Woman Skin*? Don't torture duckling is one of my favorite of his movies, but that's like folk horror kind of. Giallo. I don't view. I don't, think it's don't
0: really at, I don't view that one as Jallo. Got
1: giallo elements, but it's not in the city and it's rural mm-hmm. and it just feels different. But this movie uh, is a. Is it simply has a great lead, Jennifer O'Neill. She has a. She's a clairvoyant. uh, She has a vision of uh, after they open this uh, wall in her house and they find the skeleton. She has this uh, psychic premonition of her own murder. And the way it builds toward that, it feels like as close as he gets to what Hitchcock does in in really great ways. And it was so surprising and subtle in some ways. And it's a really well-made movie, really stylish. And it's actually a good, it's one of the best movies of all of these movies, where the actual story and the payoff, and it uses Fabio Freezy music brilliantly and has this mm-hmm. plot structure of the set music box itself and the music it makes as key to the narrative, which I won't ruin, but Quentin used it in Kill Bill, uh, took the yeah. exact music and put it in, which is very uh, good. But yeah, I highly, you know, for people who maybe, I don't know who would not be a Fulci fan, but if you don't, uh, aren't drawn to his more uh, grotesque stuff, this would be one to counter that.
0: Yeah. Um, so we're going to keep that, that Fulci train rolling because my number that. three is Lizard and a Woman.
1: I knew skin. it would be on your list. Um,
0: so. Yeah, I love it's this one so movie. much. This is admittedly one of my all time fave Jallo films. This is honestly one of my all time fave movies. Like I just like this one. It is a um kept woman who lives in uh, a condo. She is um the daughter of a politician. She's married to some bougie lawyer i think he is he might be a doctor he's like wealthy and she is a very kept woman very refined um but she's really good friends with this woman who lives next door which is like a she's a total hippie and she throws these crazy wild acid parties and um her husband the woman's husband is very much like oh the awful like heathens next door i can't believe you speak to them and the woman's like no no like you can tell she wants to be part of it she wants to go be part of that world One night, she and her husband come home. Hippies are next door throwing this crazy party. The woman goes to bed, and she has this absolutely crazy, bonkers dream where she foresees the hippie woman's death, and she sees all these details about it. Gets up the next morning, she finds that the hippie woman has actually been killed and she is able to tell the cops all of these details about it, even though that they haven't revealed any of this. And they're suddenly, of course, like, hey, are you the killer? You seem to know a lot about this. And she's like, no, it came to me in a dream. But gradually throughout the course of the movie she starts taking on the investigation on her own trying to figure out who killed her friend um and recalling things from her dream so it's got this psychic element to it at the same time her bougie husband is like quit obsessing with this thinks she's going insane we should lock her in a room with yellow wallpaper because she's losing it um which like, and, shows some and-
1: great visuals Like the opening scene, she imagines everyone naked on the train. Everyone naked on the train. Yeah, they keep changing. It's it's very surreal. They
0: touch her at one point. Like it's very it's a very surreal movie. Um, and it does have this strong acid bend because that's part of it is that they they were it was an acid party the night that this woman died. So no one at the party was in their right mind enough to really recall all what happened um is part of the plot is is you know that we were all experiencing this collective trip and it's got these wild visuals I love this movie so much, though. That is Lizard in a Woman's Skin. This is 1971.
1: Yeah, I believe that one did pretty well in the Jalo draft. Mm-hmm. And I can't recall, but I, I put this one really yeah, high. You got it in there for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So my number two is my personal number one. Like, it's my personal fave, but it's not the best. I, I have a best. But my number two is the one that I just, when, it, when I think of Jalo, this is the movie I always think of. Uh, it was hard to leave. Um, I I could have put on three Martinos, but Torso I'm leaving off, even though it's a great one. But yeah, Strange Vice of Miss Ford. This is the one I've been checking oh, yeah. for years. yeah, I know you
0: love this one. I,
1: I think it's, and watching it again recently as like some of the drama stuff I was a little listened to, but the dreamy, sequences. So basically it's a, an ambassador's wife played by the most gorgeous uh photographed woman of this entire period, Edvig Fennec, uh who still looks about as good as she did then when you see her in Hostel 2, she's mm-hmm. she still looks pretty much the same. Uh her and George Hilton, she is and she's in a ton of these movies, mostly Martino's ones. Um, yeah, she is married to this guy, either he at him, her uh lover or her ex-boyfriend, one of them is uh, murdering people and taunting people, and she doesn't know who it is. So uh, these are the problems of somebody who has all three of those uh, uh, categories. Uh-huh. And what you start to learn is that no, none of these men in her contemporary life can really fulfill her because she keeps having these de- like sexual dream slash desires, memories of her ex who was kind of sadistic and kind of cruel. Mm-hmm. And he, and these scenes are, I think if they were just like, you know, the way they're shot was boring, I don't think I'd be as into this movie, but the way he films these, flashbacks like with broken mirrors and broken glass and as as part of the sexual act like he breaks glass and then grinds it up and it kind of like over her body and she's in ecstasy and there's just all these really there's only about three or four of these sequences but they're so visual and interesting and the 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 kind of guilt that she feels for having these dark feelings and impulses leading her down the road with all these other men is super interesting uh and it's got actually a good kind of fun double twist by the end that i actually had forgotten the most recent time i watched it. i was like oh that's right um it's just i i don't know i think it's i think in terms of fashion beauty and um the style of jala's this one is like definitely top tier uh and you know martino made you know at least four or five really good ones um from from this genre alone oh yeah um, but yeah no. that's great
0: no, I love this film so much. And we're going to keep the Martino train Yay, rolling. Boy. It's been the theme of tonight. Um, And I'm also keeping the Edwig Finnick train oh, rolling. Is
1: this the long title? Oh the longest title ever?
0: No, uh, no, not I at all. You're going with
1: what's the one? Uh, your room, your vice is locked. Your vice is a
0: locked key. door, and yeah. only I have the key. No, I'm going with our namesake, dear. I'm oh, going course, with yeah. all the colors oh, okay. of the dark, which is um, a really fun one, one too, that- yeah. Yeah, the one that we literally named our show after. So I love my hippie horror. And this is another one of those that combines Giallo and kind of the bougie, refined society that we see in Giallo films with this like unhinged, unbridled hippie culture at the same time. Um, all the cover colors of the dark. We have uh, Sergio Martino, Edgewood Benich again. Um, she, has, uh, she had a car accident, which caused her to lose her unborn child and so edgwick fennec is going through some shit at this at the start of the movie she's trying to find herself she's looking you know for whatever zen retreat she needs and one of her friends is like hey i'm in a coven you should like come hang out and so she goes to a um a cult event and gets completely entranced by this guy with these like crazy eyebrows. Like he's just captivating and it's really psychedelic. And then she starts having all these memories and all these trippy moments. And she ends up having bunches of flashbacks and then people around her start dying. I love this one because of how psychedelic it gets. Like a lot of the Giallo films, I'll say like the psychic um, woman in a lizard skin, um, all the colors, these are all Crossovers between like a 1960s psychedelia acid trip hippie exploitation mixed with Giallo films, and I love that angle. Well, of he has it. I one love it. Right, kind
1: of- right square, what you're talking about, perversion story is the one he it is his late 60s. That one's like 68, 69, and it's somewhere in between the two. So, he what's it called? Perversion story that's version. Well, she's one before. That's the one he makes right before he's like in the '70s making giallos. and it's like a swinging well, '60s, but it's also an early giallo. Yeah, Oh, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, I don't it. think I've seen that one. You might I'm not. I, I definitely. I think I saw it for the first time when me and you were planning that Fulci one because I thought maybe okay. it was gonna break in, but it didn't quite. But yeah, I think you'd probably dig it. Um, that one. So that, I'm glad you brought this one up because it's like it comes the, the way that Torso almost is a slasher. The one you're talking about, all the colors. Is almost a supernatural film, and but it's not. But it's not, and yeah, and I do draw that line hard. I'm not someone who's like, yeah, it's a spirit. What Uh, is
0: the psychic or lizard in a woman's skin? Because those definitely have like a a psychic supernatural quality to them. I can
1: live with that. What I can't live with is it was witches. It's a vampire. It's. I'm sorry, that's not genre. Jo- it can have genre.
0: Giallo- oh, oh, we're going here. We're going well, to the no, Suspiria I just, I just argument. You
1: no, know, because there's quite a few of other Italian films that people just lump in because they're Italian film, horror films from that period, and I'm like, well, like demons. No one would ever call demons a genre. No. So mm-hmm. now, which the only reason people would say Suspiria is because, because sequences are shot exactly like giallo's in terms of the gloves and killer but that to me is not enough when we're dealing with supernatural witch movies like personally yeah i had actually i've
0: been posting um i always do like a a giallo countdown in january on my socials so go to my socials you'll find like i will list like 30 31 um different giallo films this month and um so for today I popped up like three of them for the past couple of days and somebody wrote underneath, like how come you haven't put and they put, um, Oh crap. No, Inferno. And mm-hmm. I was like, is that Jello? Jello. I mean, it's,
1: so it's, a ultimate, it's, it's a great witch. Yeah. Film. It's a great, it, you know, a great
0: it, witch yeah, film. It's, but when I love that film. your killer is rats, it doesn't have the same effect. No, and I think that's important me.
1: because to me, a Jello is about the revealing of a mystery. It's about humans. Mm-hmm. doing things to each other. I think they are human beings who are, you know, have savage impulses or revenge or whatever the motive. That's, I think, part of the engine of it. That, again, we're yeah. splitting hairs. Uh, you can, somebody yep. can call Inferno a giallo if they want. I just think it doesn't make, it's a supernatural. Film.
0: Suspiria for me is the closest. That's the one that I I sometimes will call it a a, a giallo because there's also a question in Suspiria of how much of it is supernatural and how much is not until her friends come back to life at the end. And then it's like, okay, now yeah. we're full supernatural. But prior to that point, it's a straight giallo. But,
1: um, but it's okay. not a murder mystery as much as it is. is there, are there witches here? No one's saying, who's murdering people? That would be a giallo. They're saying, are there witches in this in this place? What is happening? You know, That's why I think it's a little more the central question, I think, defines that one. Anyway. We could do that all in Fair enough. But, but, um, Fair enough. But,
0: my, yes. Let's go to our number ones. Yes.
1: Uh, well, my number one is, is to me, uh, we started with me saying, if you watch one movie, you should watch uh, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Because I believe, if you're studying giallo, I think it starts with that film. And to me, it ends with Tana Bray. Because it doesn't mean there's not more later. But this is 1982. And I think Argento has the benefit of having seen this entire period through and seen all the movies when he wasn't making Straight Jalo, And he literally just makes one of the best damn movies, period. This movie transcends just being a cool Jallo to being a mm-hmm. pitch, like, tight thriller. It's basically basic instinct, right? Like, you got a person who writes a mystery novel who then somebody is killing people like the oh, mystery novel. I put the same one down. Oh, good. Same okay, one. good. Yeah. No, I, so... I, this movie is dynamite. Uh, uh, number know.
0: one giallo film if you see one see right
1: yeah. i'd still see say first if you were unaware of the genre i'd still say watch something like crystal plumage or even deep red first but this is the one if you want to see just a great movie because it i think mm-hmm. because it's made after it's able to look back and go okay we can make a good mystery a good thriller we can make yep. it technically bravado and brilliant we can have all the great music and then we can add the most fucked up motivations and character backstories. And you get some really good actors, Anthony and whispering. whispering, even yes. more
0: Whispering. Um No, *The Tenement* is not made till 1982. This is like a solid 10 years after all of the other Jalo films that we've been talking about on this list, and so. They've definitely been through a process. Like this, honestly, it feels like he's reflexively looking back at what they've done over the last 10 years and really making it even better.
1: Yeah. So cause my guess is I don't know exactly Nedley, but the psychics 77. A lot of them are around 76, 77, 78. And then there's probably all
0: mine were 71, 72, except Ten and Bray.
1: Yeah. And so th- so so it's going strong for that whole decade, mm-hmm. but I don't think a lot are happening even up to 80. So there's a yeah. couple years here. Uh you've got
0: what year was opera.
1: Opera's after like Ten of After yeah, Ten of Opera's kind of his last great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Great Score, the, the Goblin Dario But this the I just remember how I felt. I saw this one pretty early and I didn't probably even know what the word jello was. I, I'd seen not even sure if I would have seen deeper. Red, but I remember getting one of those. I think I got it from Kim's video or somewhere. And I remember placing it. And when it gets to the end, the reveal was a good twist, like better than most, like the actual mm-hmm. surprise. But just how it ended and how bloody it is and how insane, I just remember having my jaw like kind of dropping like, whoa, this movie is crazy. And that's something that, you know, it's always hard to do to horror fans. So uh, this is a terrific one at the top spot. Ten, embrace yourself.
0: Ten, embrace yourself. Well, thank you guys for joining us. So you have gotten a very comprehensive list of nine amazing jello titles that are um, just damn good to, to check out some deep cuts in there, but all of them are really good. But start start with Tenebrae or Bird with the Crystal Plumage and go from there. And you can definitely um, check out my socials if you want some more titles, I will be adding a. A couple more every day this uh, month,
1: and we're going to definitely be doing at least a couple. I've got two for the next deep cuts that are much more deeper cut ones, and
0: yeah, so do I. I've yeah. got a couple still sitting on my shelf. I'm going to dig in. Yeah, this is
1: the month for that. So uh, hopefully, they'll get you started.
0: Yeah, so thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. Feel free to head over to our Patreon channel, Deep Cuts, um, for awesome lists and a couple more episodes a month. If you just can't get enough of. Becca and Elric, um, you seem to be spry now. I hope this made you feel no, a little bit I, better. I, I
1: was feeling good while we we're doing it. And as soon as we got towards about the 20 minutes ago, I was like, wow, the energy. That's the one thing I'm finding is my energy's gone very quickly it's, during COVID. It's,
0: God, I used, there used to, when I was in theater, there was a term for it. The idea of, God, what was, there was actually like an actor's term hmm. for it of, I am sick as fuck. But I will have enough energy uh, to, perform, to make yeah. it through the performance. Yeah. And then the moment that the curtain goes down, I will once again yeah. feel sick as fuck. Yeah. And I can't remember what the actual term that I always heard was for it. But yeah. In it's, other words, um, this is my Hamlet.
1: Yeah. What we just experienced <laughs> was my Shakespeare. And if you want to write down some of the key lines from what I might have said, then go for it. I won't remember yeah. any of them. <laughs>
0: I dumped water all over myself, yeah. so I'm, right. I'm gonna go change. It's different shirt, but um, it's nice to be. Anyway, back.
1: we'll be back soon. Yes. We have no plans. We have
0: some. But- we have some really good guests oh, coming up, okay. though. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, we've got I'm a couple. I'm like, we
1: have no plans, and you're like, we have guest booked. I'm like, okay, well, that's a we have guest booked through end me. of
0: February. Well, it's okay. I'll, 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 I'll just bring them in. You just oh, sit there. Man. You smile. You make your little quips. Know, I'll just I, show up and set I, it up. I
1: hate, I, yeah. I hate having things already planned i know you do i'm like ooh, what's happening next week we could find something that's happening next week and you're like three months from now and i'm like what
0: february guests no No. i've got this scheduled out so okay we'll get your ass better so we can go back to the movies because i will go see megan again and there's some good stuff coming out like every i want to go see rrr not horror but i really want to go see it um is it already
1: rrr the indian film yeah, yeah, no, that's where it came out straight away. It's been out for months. I haven't seen it yet either, but everyone, it just plays on big screen because everyone Wait. wants to see it on big screens because it's so impressive.
0: I had no fucking it, clue. But make sure it's watch already the on you the Netflix. Hindi
1: version. It's in Hindi. You don't want to watch like an American dub. It's, but a lot of people are saying that could he be a dark horse for the best Oscar.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. People love it. People yeah.
1: love this movie. I only haven't seen it because I kept, I kept seeing, missing big like, screen.
0: It popped up on my um, my theatrical thing where I can like it, yeah. I have this app that tells me like every movie that's playing each week and it popped up and I was like what is this I had no yeah, idea it was does... already streaming somewhere that just made my night yeah. I'm gonna go watch well, that's it
1: three hours so you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I- and that is my Babylon quality. Yeah, your, I,
1: I want to see Babylon. I'm dying to see
0: it. Literally, I, I le- I, there was one night I had already gotten my ticket on my AMC thing, and I was like, I'm going to go see Babylon tonight. And then I saw it was three hours and 12 minutes. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, that's like, uh, that's a whole thing. That's like a flight. I can't watch a three hour movie. If we had Edgar um, Allan
1: Poe live today, my only question I'd ask him, I'd say, Movies are getting longer, but attention spans are getting shorter. Hmm, that's a very and and cinemas dying. What a strange conundrum. You know what I mean? It's so, like it's so baffling to me. Like literally, attention spans couldn't be getting shorter in the world, but movies are getting longer getting and longer. longer and longer on streaming. I'm like, why? There's no why? reason. Like they're not making more money by making longer. Content.
0: I still swear and I've read articles you know arguing why Babylon did not do well in theaters but that is my number one theory of why Babylon did not do well in theaters is I wanted to see it I saw it was 3 hours and my first response was fuck no yeah, th- and hours, I saw other even for saying like the same is, thing is is cuz
1: I that's the kind of movie I love that time period in cinema and I'm excited Yeah
0: me too but,
1: but it is that is like you know 45 minutes longer than that needs to be, but I'll, I'll wait yeah. and see the movie. I might still love it. Um, but anyway. And we're-
0: oh, so coming up, we have Missing. We have Knock at the Cabin. Um, both of these are coming up really soon. And then we've got Cocaine Bear. We've got Infinity Pool, which I can't oh, wait for. That's, so yeah, He's the da- man, that guy. Get your ass better. Yeah. We gotta go see yeah. some movies here. And my dog's yelling at me. And plus we are going to a Giallo film in a couple of weeks. Yes, We're going we gotta, to see Deathblade and Egg. Well,
1: neither of us have seen, so that's one too. That'll be exciting. I have to look at when when that is because I haven't checked it. Uh,
0: it's Monday in three weeks. Okay. So two weeks, two weeks. Okay. So you better oh, get I your better shit together. Out. Yes.
1: Oh, I should be yeah. better by next weekend or whatever. Or by next Okay. Week. All right. Well, good to be back. Okay. Thanks, Ernie, have for you. Have a great recording. night. Thanks.
0: The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Amir, Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez, and, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado.